0: Welcome to Gondrepreneur, helping Gondrepreneurs grow and succeed in every sector of the cannabis industry. Gondrepreneur will introduce you to the cannabis pioneers who are paving the way for future generations. Learn about the shifting landscape of the market directly from the experts and get to know some of the leading minds in the industry as they tell their story of struggles and success. Now, CannabisRadio.com presents Gondrepreneur.com.
1: Hi there, and welcome to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose. The Gondrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today, my guest is Dr. Reggie Godino, Vice President for Scientific Operations and Director of Intellectual Property at Steep Hill. Reggie is building their genetic analysis division and is also working with his teams to further the science behind cannabis testing. Dr. Godino is a published genetic researcher with 18 years of intellectual property experience in writing, prosecuting, and managing patents and patent portfolios in fields as diverse as software and telecom to biotechnology and molecular genetics. Welcome, Reggie. Glad you could join us. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Reggie, let's start with the burning question that's on everybody's mind as I speak to them. As far as cannabis and intellectual property goes, people all over the country have got their favorite – Strains that they've developed themselves and they want to patent them. They want to own them forever. They want to license them to other people. And I've, I've seen it in so many different business plans, whether or not it seems to be reasonable science wise. So what are you seeing as this is evolving as you're, as you um, you know, seeing how the new technologies that can track the cannabis genetics? Is this something that is on the horizon for these entrepreneurs or, or is it just something that they're going to be hoping for?
2: No, not only is it on the horizon, but it's actually a lot closer than most people think. Um, this is actually a a really intense area of focus for not only myself, but the program that I'm building here at CPEL. I've been trying to get the message across for the last couple of years that the industry is changing. At some point, big big agriculture, Monsanto, Dow Sciences the pharmaceutical industry—they're all going to jump on the bandwagon, you know. Once everything goes from Schedule One to Schedule Two, that—that's a reality. It's not, you know, not when is it going to happen, or maybe it'll happen. It's going to happen, and it's going to come pretty soon. You know, there's a lot of movement in the government right now. To, for a savvy observer of the industry, we'll see that the movement is gaining momentum and is moving towards that direction. And why is that important? Well, that's important because every strain that is publicly available for sale right now basically becomes open source the patent law states that you can't apply for a patent of any kind on uh, anything that's been being sold for a year or more so the message that we at CTO is trying to get out is actually that you know if you're a breeder the best thing that you can be doing right now is breeding your butt off you know finding all those nuances, going after those new unique strains, trying to develop better phenotypes so that you can have some relevance, you know, a few years down the line. There's not a single grower who seriously has the power to compete with the likes of the Monsanto or Dell Agrosciences. So the only thing left then is to put your stake in the ground and to really protect your strains so that when everything that's on the shelves now becomes open source you have something better to offer the community. So and that's exactly the message that we're trying to do. So how do we go about doing that? That can be done in a number of ways. You know, here at Steep Hill, you know, we, we try to, you know, not only have the best science and the best testing, but we're actually trying to build something right now, a breeder services program that will allow us to help breeders not only do those things like, you know, find the better traits, breed the better strains, you know, but also have a cons- you know, a, a concerted package of tools that they can use, that they can do those things better and faster, and 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 hopefully that will help them put that stake in an in, in old stand and allow them to really, you know, get to the point where they have IP, they have something to license, they have something that they can, you know, you know, build a a, a bigger business around, right? So that's exactly the message that we're trying to give. And we really believe that, that that is the way the industry will change and it will change soon.
1: So- reggie there you there's so many bombs in that answer that you just dropped it's amazing so you dropped that you know get ready because big ag is really coming um uh, uh get ready because uh licensing your strains is coming and also you better hurry up and get your breeding stuff out on the market so that you can actually own it that, i mean you just you just probably got a lot of people shaking in their boots just right there i was hoping not to be doom and gloom right but but you know, there are certain realities,
2: right? So right now, because it's, you know, cannabis is schedule one, you know, you have a lot of people in a sense looking in and they're looking in, waiting for that opportunity, right? And and I think you see the success that some people who have really taken that cutting edge approach have. You look at, and, and granted it's outside the United States, you know, you could GW Pharmaceuticals. Well, GW Pharmaceuticals is doing some great stuff, you know? And the And the fact that they went that route, you know that other pharmaceutical companies are are chomping at the bit. But the bigger pharmaceutical companies, those with the most to lose, don't want to get there too soon and or, you know, be the test case government saying, "Ah, no, this is not right yet. So, um, but it's, you know, we know that it's coming in the industry. And, And because of that, you know, it, it, it would be better to have a good plan in place than to be caught with your pants down. And and that's and that's the reality, right? So um and so while doom and gloom is, is nobody wants to hear that negative message, I mean these are realities, right? These are realities. And the realities are based because of the way the the cannabis industry is actually coming into mainstream business, right? So it's not like, you know, we're gonna come into here in, into mainstream business and, and then suddenly things are gonna change for us, right? The patent law is the patent law, right? And so because of the way patents work and, and you know and, and I know that in in my bio lead up that you talked about the use of intellectual property. Well, you know, from an intellectual property standpoint, right? Everything that has been done in the cannabis industry, through the altruism and through the you know the kind of camaraderie that has typically been associated with the industry, you know, when you get to big business, that goes away. It's unfortunate, but it, it, the industry is going to change. It has to change and And you know, and one of the things that we 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 have to make it do we have to make it look more like a pharmaceutical industry we have to make it look more like some of these other industries if we want people to take it seriously and use this wonderful plant for medicine and that's what we're about right so, so that's why we did the testing that's why we want to ensure the safety of the product now to the point where we actually we as as you know insight uh, you know we, um, insight is our arm for uh genetic research right so you know, what we would like to be able to do is help actually doctors embrace the product better because we can give them a more systematic naming convention, you know, that's, that is tied to chemical profiles, that is tied to genetics, right? So, you know, these things are all very important for the industry to make the industry, you know, advance a, a, as a powerhouse unto itself and not because it was absorbed by big ag or big or big pharma, right? So, So to do that, you know, we as an industry have to start looking at the other industries that will come into play, that we will touch and we have to play by those rules. So the rule in patent law is if you do not have or rather, if you, you have been selling something for a year or more commercially, or if it's been offered for sale, then it cannot be patented. Right. So that means everything on the shelves in the dispensary right now, Monsanto and Dow and all those other big ad companies can come in Not pay a penny and grow them and outsell you because they will be able to do it faster, better, and at a lower price point. Right. So so if all those things go away, what's left for the people who have worked so hard for this industry? Well, that's the message. If you make new breeds, okay, if you make new breeds and you don't sell those breeds before you apply for a plant patent. And assuming that you can get that plant patent because you have a unique strain, which has unique characteristics, which and there are a number of plant patents that are in the plant patent queue that are just, you know, the, the government's kind of dragging their feet on them, but they're there. Right? If you, you can go and you can look at all the plant patent applications, there's dozens if not hundreds of plant patent applications already out there. That is where breeders have to go. To be able to maintain being relevant, to be, be to maintain their not only their revenue stream but the rights to what they want to do or who they want to give their product to. Wow,
1: that's so. that that's that's that is some shiver me timbers kind of talk right there. I'm sure that a lot of people's minds have just been blown. You know, I want to talk a bit ab- more about how breeders can defend their plant lines but we need to take a quick break first so we're going to take a short break and be right back you are listening to the gontrepreneur.com podcast after a
0: short message from the sponsors who made this show possible gontrepreneur will return We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur, only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: Our guest this week is Reggie Godino of Steep Hill. Before the break, we were talking about how big agribusiness is going to be moving in and sweep up the strains that are presently on the market. Some pretty scary stuff for heritage growers. So, Reggie, what can heritage growers do to defend themselves? So you were pretty clear that, that strains that are presently on the market for more than a year are not patentable and therefore indefensible from big ag. But at the same time, a lot of the strains that are presently on the market have not had the genetic testing done on them yet. And so really, you know, what is and what is not as a strain is, is kind of hard to probably argue in court. So, If a strain has been on the market locally but has never been – never had its its genes identified and so it's just kind of an anonymous source and heritage growers who are developing things right now, what can they do to either protect the strains that they already have out there and maybe the answer is nothing and then when should they wait to put out the strains in the future that they want to be able to cash in on?
2: Those are both great questions. So the best thing that they can be doing right now is developing strains and getting to to stable phenotypes, and that can be done, you know, a number of ways, right? So, you know, that's a whole other section that we possibly, if if you would like, we could we could have another podcast on. But but the reality is, is you want you want to be looking at phenotypes that you've been breeding for a while, that you know you're into your F8, your F9, your F10, right? So it's about at that at that level of back crossing and in-crossing and in that you'll start to see stability in the cannabis genome, right? And stability in, in terms of breeding is based on genome size. So cannabis genome is about three times smaller than a human genome. So it's actually a fairly large genome. Right? So it actually takes, you know, closer to 10, 12 generations to be ensured, ensure that you're really at stable phenotypes. And why do I bring that up? Well, plant patents require that you are at a stable phenotype, and that that it's that it is not an asexual breed. It's actually something that comes from seed. Okay, so in the plant patent statutes, which is what I um, I've, I've been kind of trying to. We call the information and develop like a, a, a checklist for growers and breeders. Uh, and we have that on our, our if it's not already on the website, it'll be being up on the website pre, or the CPL website pretty soon. And, you know, the important thing there is that, you know, there are regular plant, patent features that have to be met. You know, you have to know time to flower, you know, internode length, you know, flower colors, you know, there's just a bunch of stuff that have been accumulated over the years that we re- that are required for a plant patent. But one of the things is a genetic component. So um, the genetic component is what really I think is the most important thing in the cannabis industry because there are so many different strains as you mentioned and, you know, there's probably a lot of strain similarities. So so how do you ensure that the stuff that you're breeding now can be distinguished from the stuff that's already out there. And and then what can you do with your stuff that's already out there? So that's the second part of the question. So Girl Scout cookies is phenomenally popular, right? So it's going to be a shame when these guys come in and take Girl Scout cookies and breed it, you know, I mean, that breed it, you know, grow it out the wazoo. So what I would recommend is if you have stuff on the market, take that stuff bring it to somebody who can do genetic analysis. There are not a lot of companies out there that can do it right now. And, and, and spend the money. If, it's, if your product is a, is a big breadwinner for your business, spend the money and get some genetic analysis done. The analysis can be anything from deep sequencing, which is fairly expensive, to more like trait qualitative trait analysis, right? And and those terms are on different sides of the spectrum in in terms of, of the involvement of genetic analysis, right? So we at Steep Hill have been building tools that we are trying to put out in the market for the breeders so that they can follow these things, right? So um, we're working on on, on molecular diagnostics for, for, for various traits. We're working on you know methods to be able to identify similarities between strains or differences between strains. So a lot of this stuff is actually you know fairly high tech. We we have a lot of really cutting edge molecular biology equipment in our lab that allows us to do a lot of this research. And what this allows us, and possibly some uh, some other, you know, um, more advanced labs to do, is to actually give you kind of a genetic profile that you can then kind of layer on top of a chemical profile, right? So, mm-hmm. chemical testing is important, you know, because that gives you the terpene profiles give you the cannabinoid profiles right but here's the kicker sometimes profiles are not the be all and end all and the reason for that is that you can get similar profiles from crosses that give you convergent phenotypes right so so let's say you take two different strains the f1 of two of two of strains that have been crossed are very rarely you know a the the real final phenotype that you'll get at f10 right so as you breed an F1 and you interbreed an F1, you'll get a lot of phenos out, and then those phenos will sometimes look like other strains, right? But it's, it's a transient kind of thing. If you were to continue to breed that particular strain, you would possibly lose the thing that made it look like something else, right? So so that's why getting back to stable phenotypes, you know, you, you want something that's going to breed true, and you want to be able to follow those traits. So people who have been breeding for a long time are actually their own best laboratory. The reason why I say that is if you've got strains that you've been you've been looking at for eight, ten generations, you've been interbreeding yourself, you already have what we call in in genetics a mapping population. Right? So at that point you can find any trait that you're interested in and you can measure it. And in one or two experiments, a good genetic analysis team can take the, the the parents and the offspring and tell you what gene is responsible for that trait and the reason for that is, is because the background between the parents and the, and, and the offspring F8, F9, F10 are so similar that when you find one difference it's fairly easy to locate in the DNA right? and so based on that power we have the ability to start helping breeders identify the genes and the DNA sequences that are responsible for those traits that they find unique and so That is why not doom and gloom, right? So they've been doing it so long. They're already so good at what they do that they've already created the tools that they need to be able to help them move forward, and they don't even realize it, so...
1: So Reggie, getting it to be stable, you know, F8, F9, F10, so that you would be able to get a patent for heritage growers, that can take a long time. One of the things I dig when I learned about Gen Kit from Steep Hill was that its ability to let growers sex the plants way earlier in the process while they're still in veg instead of the traditional, you know, looking at it with with a magnifying glass to figure out the sex, you know, as it's starting to head towards bloom. Tell us a little bit about the Gen Kit and and how is it being adopted by growers? I'm glad you asked.
2: So so we built GenKit as a vehicle for for this service, right? So Gen you know, I'm not sure how it got out there, but Gen kit, for whatever reason, people think that means gender kit, right? but it's actually not. It's genetics kit. And what it allows us to do is with the same workflow, test for a whole bunch of different things. The first product we put out on the market was the male, not male discriminator, right? So the whole idea was to to have this be a piece of a bigger of a bigger plan, right And that bigger plan is to allow breeders to get to stable phenotype much faster. The sex test is actually the first part. But now, we, as we develop these new traits, and we actually keep, keep an eye out for, on our website, because in the, probably less than a month, two months max, we have two or three trait markers that were are adding to GenKit that we're going to announce. And what that allows us to do is, you know, so as soon as you crack a seed, at the second, you know, second release, you send us a little piece of leaf in, and we can test, you know, we can tell you. Male, not male, I, I say not male for a reason, and we can talk about that in a little while, and we can tell you whether you know what some of the other traits might be so now, the reason that 's important is because then, if you combine that with some early leaf testing services, so you have a genetic a genetic profile now, and then you run a, an early chemical test to see you know, of the seeds you've cracked, which are the males, which are not males, which are, and if you're interested in males, do you want to keep some of these males because they have a high CBD to THC ratio or or what the genetics tells you? So then what that allows you to do is once you figure out what are the best in that, say, 50 or, you know, 100 seeds that you've cracked, you throw away everything that's not going to give you what you want, reducing your resource load, and then you force flower at, like, for between four and six weeks, you don't have to grow to full maturity. If you can do that, it's a, you don't need a lot of seeds. You just need a couple hundred seeds. You don't need a full plant worth of seeds, right? So you force flower early. You 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 do the breed with the with the male pollen that you want. You get some seeds. You crack those seeds. You keep doing it. Now, if you look at it, you're you're seeding, you know, you're you're, you're um, mating, seeding, you know at the six, maybe, latest eight-week mark. Well, 52 divided by six is eight. That means you're at eight generations per season now using these tools. If you're an indoor grower, that's great. Obviously, it doesn't always translate for an outdoor grower, but if you combine your process where you do some indoor and outdoor, then you're at eight generations in one year.
1: I can totally see how the gen kit is going to excite so many breeders who want to be able to get to that stable F8 and F9 really fast. Also, our time is going really fast. So we're going to have to take another short break now, Reggie. Hold on just a second. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast.
0: After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gontrepreneur will return.
2: Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at OrangeHillDevelopment.com. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on MJWellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out
0: MJWellness.com today. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur, only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is Reggie Godino of Steep Hill. So, Reggie, we've been talking a lot today about protecting your your phenos and getting them to stable at F8 and F9 for an eventual patent. The other thing that we talk a lot about on this show is the reliability of analytics labs. And we've talked to a couple pros who have said that, you know – it's one thing to want labs to give you the same answers so because we know that, that, that growers are shopping around for labs to give them the results that they want. And sometimes it's also the, the way that they've chosen their sample. But the one thing we keep coming back to on the show is this common opinion by professionals that it's the standards themselves that are used in the HPLC machines that, um, that have not been developed enough because they haven't been developed long enough for cannabis specifically. And therefore, since the standards themselves, um, they're, they're quick to degrade and, and folks may not be buying say, the same standard from different companies that just at its very basis, um, it's, it's going to be impossible to have consistent testing. You know, with your deep background on this, what are your thoughts?
2: So we've we've been experiencing that same thing here. So we work really hard to ensure that we have good calibration on all of our machines. And and the way we do that is by we order our standards from multiple sources. Um, We have seen that on any given batch of material that we get from the standard vendors that on some days, some will have great standards, and those same companies on other days will have not so good standards and So what we do to to minimize that is whenever we run our calibrations, we move on 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 standards that we source from multiple places it 's expensive because the standards are not cheap and so that 's the kind of, of lab that customers should be looking for right and, and, and they should not be afraid to say "Hey." Can I see your calibration runs? Can I see how often you run your standards? How often do you run your blanks? That kind of stuff. Because that's how we ensure that we are doing the best job and giving the best, you know, quality results to the clients, right? So the other thing that is very, very important and we take pride on is joining those MO Cup competitions, right? Because now you have an, an, a third party that is now certifying your level of accuracy, because they send out complete unknowns. You have to send the test back to them. They do the analysis. So labs that are not competing in those Everybody should should take a second look at those and say, "Hey, why are you not competing in the national standards competition?" All right? It's there for us to be able to say, "Hey, you know what? We, we meet a, a at least a minimal level of certification that means that we're doing the job the right way." And clients should be should be adamant that the labs they test with meet those, uh, compete and meet in those you know and those regulatory in markets. It's very important that they. Or they, the labs, have that level of certification to
1: offer their clients. That's a, that's really good insight. And you know, I'm 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 surprised, not surprised, to hear you run it home again. What we've ta- what we've heard a couple times is that you know, with these standards being different from the different companies, there's no there's no doubt then that the different, uh, Canvas analytics labs are, are putting out different results. I mean, so many people, they want to, they want to hate the lab and think that maybe it's their team that's bad, but actually it's just the state of the science. And, um, and that's, that's something pretty severe to have to deal with.
2: To a certain extent, that's true. Right. But, but by doing like what I said is, is at every lab, does not take it on gospel that once the standard maker is, the, is doing the job the right way all the time, you minimize that. And, and that's the extra step a good lab will take to make sure they're giving out the right, the right yeah. answers.
1: Right on. Good. That's a good bookend on that. So before we finish up here, I want to address, you know, because our show is for entrepreneurs and certainly the cannabis breeders who are listening have been really great uh, appreciative of the stuff we've talked about so far. Let's talk about the people who want to be you, Reggie, because, you know, for for a lot of those breeders, they want to step it up and get the education to become geneticists themselves so that they can work in the lab instead of necessarily in the grow room. You know, what, do you recommend for for folks who are in um, states that have not normalized yet, who want to prepare themselves for a career doing what you are doing? I mean, it's it's pretty exotic, and there are not a lot of mentors yet for people to follow in their footsteps. So, so what are your words of advice for somebody who wants to come up behind you in the future? Well,
2: um, a good a good strong plant biology and molecular biology background um, will help them get. Uh, almost all the way there. Um, if they want to do the intellectual property spot, you know, kind of stuff that I do, that's, that's above and beyond. But to be a good, you know, cannabis geneticist, to be able to do the kind of research that I do and my team does, to be able to ask those kind of questions, it's really just basic science. All we've done is taken good people from regular science and brought them to the cannabis industry. And, and what's so wonderful and what I Love about this and why I'm here is because it gave me the opportunity to do stuff that was being done in other commercially important, you know, agriculture crops. Think about that, right? So cannabis isn't is a commercially important agriculture crop that we know nothing about. We know so much more about wheat, about rice, about all these other things, and so it was basically a blank slate here, and so. There's a lot of room. There's, a, there's a, so much to be done in the cannabis industry in terms of understanding the genetics and understanding the, the the biology of the plant that I would say anybody who's in college, who's studying biology, this field is just waiting with open arms. So a good education, not even a PhD, good bachelor's or master's. If you have good science skills, you can do what we do here and and advance this industry. And, and that's what we really need right now. So um, And... You know, we, we, we and other labs that do this kind of work are more than happy to bring people in, to teach them, you know, mentorships. And I can't stress enough how Look for good programs. If you're going to college, look for good programs. Like University of uh, Colorado in Boulder, they have the Cannabis Research Gen- uh, Genome Initiative, right? So or rather the Cannabis Genome Research Initiative, CGRI, you know, there are programs out there that will help bring the level of cannabis science up to everybody else's. And at that point, all I can say is watch out
1: because there's a lot to come. Right on. Well, that sounds like a really inspiring place for us to end for the day because we are out of time. Reggie, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having
2: me. This was great, and uh, I, I hope I provide some helpful information.
1: So, Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, I'm already planning to have you on uh, again because I've, I've still got a lot of questions left. Dr. Reggie Godino is vice president for scientific operations and director of intellectual property at Steep Hill. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur podcast in the podcast section at gontrepreneur.com. You can also find us on the Cannabis Radio Network website and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcriptions of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. We are also thrilled to announce that you can now find the show on the iHeartRadio network app, bringing Gontrepreneur to 60 million mobile devices. Thanks to Brasco for producing our show. As always, I am your host, Shango Lose.